Tonight we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. Uh, and namely, uh, what we're going to be thinking about tonight is why does God care about our sexuality in the first place? Right? What, what business does he have dictating to us our sex lives? Uh, or, uh, you know, uh, for those of us not having sex, even just, you know, our singleness, um, right? Our lack thereof. Uh, God telling us to, you know, forgive people. Right, things that we've gone over so far this semester, that God wants you to forgive people, He wants you to be a good friend, uh, that He, you know, designed you for a relationship, like stuff like that. That I that we have looked at so far, that makes sense on some level, right? Uh, that that uh, it's well and good. These are societal matters. Of course, God is concerned with how societies function, how macro groups of people function with one another. They affect everybody. Uh, and so, you know, all these relationships, all these relationships we've been talking about before really are vital for how, you know, the earth functions as a whole. Why would he care about our sexuality, our like romantic lives? Um, you know, doesn't that isn't that a little superfluous to him? Shouldn't he kind of overlook that? What does he care uh, well, uh, we're going to read a passage uh, from 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20, and we're going to find out. Here's what uh, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or written, the two will become one flesh. Or do you, sorry, or do you not know, sorry, this uh, goes one. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let me pray. Uh, Lord, I I don't know how everyone comes in uh, tonight, what our own stories are with regard to our sexuality. Um, But I do pray that you would uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right. Why does God care about our sexuality? Uh, We're going to answer that question with kind of like five mini answers and then one big answer. Uh, And I'm going to run through them uh, pretty fast, the mini answers. I'm going to try and make my way through these five mini answers uh, pretty quickly. We're going to start by looking at verse 13. We have that verse 13. Yeah, it's up there. Great. Uh, It says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Uh, I think at the very least, uh, what Paul is saying here is that God created our bodies. 
Why does, why does God care about our sexuality? At least on one part, it's because God created our bodies. Uh, he's calling back to another portion of the Bible called you know, Genesis 1, the beginning. We looked at that the first like, worship night of the semester. We said that God created people in his image, in his likeness, and he gave them things to do, work to be done, uh, created them to have more people and fill the earth and, and multiply and subdue it. And for that reason, right, uh, God on some, level, on some level is a creator of bodies. Uh, sometimes we can think of Adam and Eve as like, you know, uh, some other kind of, of being like uh, that it was somehow distinct from us or that uh, maybe since God tested them and the whole story seems so unbelievable with a snake that talks to them and things that it seems like they are not really the same as us. But the truth is that all of us, the Bible says, come from them and that we are of the same flesh and blood as they are. And so God has, in effect, created all of us. And therefore, cares very deeply about what we do with our bodies. Uh, verse 20, if we look there, it's not just that he made our bodies, it's that he bought uh, those bodies. Uh, he died for our bodies in his body. Uh, it, the, you know, essentially, like this is the heart of the gospel in verse 20. Do we have that up? We do, right? Yeah, there it is. Verse 20. Uh, you were bought with a price, Right? So glorify God in your body. Uh, the heart of the gospel that God loves you, all of you, warts and all, and paid for your sins. It's not just that, um, I think sometimes we, again, we can get in our head that like God died for our souls or something, um, or maybe that he died for the good parts of us, or we try and curb this to some degree. But what this says is that you were bought with a price, all of you, uh, and that price is Jesus' blood. Uh, that the, the way that the Bible is going to put it, essentially Jesus says it like this in Luke 15, that there are two sons. Everybody falls into basically one of two categories on earth, and that is that you are either an elder brother or a younger brother. And you can switch back and forth at various times. But he tells the story about these two sons who uh, are both uh, lost. One son who's lost because uh, he... Tells his dad, essentially, I wish you were dead. Can I have my inheritance early so that I can go and spend it how I want to? I'm tired of having to deal with you. What I really want is your money. And what I really want is to do what I want to do. And he goes off and he spends it on uh, reckless and wild living. Um, His brother surmises that he sleeps with prostitutes. And uh, he ends up getting so poor and impoverished when a famine hits that he ends up eating longing to eat from the pods that the pigs eat, like pig troughs. The other brother, uh, the older brother, uh, is standing far off when the younger brother comes home. And the father runs out to reach this younger brother and like embraces him and kisses him. And the younger brother has this speech prepared. You know, I'm sorry, I sinned against you. And, And he's trying to get it all out when the father interrupts him and says, I really don't want to hear about that. I'm so excited. My son who was dead is alive. He was lost and now he's found. Let's throw a party. Throws a big party. And when the older brother finds out what's happened, he refuses to go in. Refuses to go in because he thinks that the younger brother has squandered any right he ever had to being part of the family. Why? Because he thinks he's part of the family based on his goodness. 
all these years I've slaved for you, all these years I've obeyed, I've done what you've asked, and I didn't even get even a goat to sacrifice and have a party with my friends. And Jesus says that this is the gospel, that the father is looking for both those sons, both those sons, and that uh, Jesus has, with his blood, bought both those sons from their lostness. The one son from abandoning God's law, like from abandoning the father, abandoning his ways, and just living however he wants. Uh, you know, I, you, could, you could imagine who this is in our modern day. It's, you know, anybody who says the Bible is, you know, hogwash. I don't care what God has to say. Uh, in fact, God is dead. That's Nietzsche. Like, I'll, I'll do whatever I want. And, no, and in fact, you, anyone telling me what I should or shouldn't do is actually like, uh, you know, I'm better than you because I live a free life. I can do whatever I want. Um, there's a promise of freedom there, but really, actually, it's hubris. At the end of the day, that's pride uh, in saying that uh, you know the way better than anyone else. I can decide for myself what I want and what I need. And the older brother says the same thing. Uh, yes, he does it by like doing what the father wants, but ultimately he's lost in the same way because he too is obeying the father, not for the father's sake, but to get what he wants out of the father. Uh, these, these are people who go to church and are nice people. who come to RUF every week and they smile at you and they shake your hand and they ask you how you're doing and they want to get coffee with you. But really they do all of that deep down because they want the good things that God gives them. They don't lie because they don't want to be seen as somebody who lies. They don't, uh, you know, I, I don't know. They don't identify or hang out with people that could make them look bad or their image look bad. Or, um, or even if they do hang out with those kind of people, they do it because it makes them look good. Right? The truth is that uh, we are all tempted at various points to be one of these two brothers, to go our own way, to think I know what's best. And in fact, people telling me that they know better is a violation of my own freedom. And I'm better than that. I'm not that way. Right? Or, on the other hand, we're lost in uh, thinking that we have earned the Father's love. Both these people are lost, and they actually need God to forgive them. And right here at the end, as he's thinking about like what it means to, for God to give a bunch of these you know, thoughts about like sexuality, he ends it with, you were bought with a price. That that's at the center. And until you recognize that, uh, it's, you know, it's kind of a, a wash. Um, that he bought your body with a price. Uh, the third thing that we see here in terms of uh, answering this question, uh, why does God care about our sexuality? Look at me at verse 14. Let me at verse 14. It says, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. It's not just that he made our bodies and it's not just that he purchased our bodies uh, with his own blood, right? Even though we were lost. It's that he raises the Lord, uh, he has raised the Lord up and will also raise us up. Uh, that he will resurrect our bodies. Um, one way of putting this is, is uh, that you, are, you don't have a body like the way that he's talking about this is that you don't have a body. You are a body, right? Like I don't, uh, for the record, you kind of all know this instinctually. Like I don't say like, oh, look, it's Abby's body, right? Like I, I don't say like, oh, hey, Cam's body. Like, because that's, that's Cam. 
That's Abby, right? Uh, we are not uh, more or less than our bodies, that we are actually all intertwined. Uh, we're not going to be, what this means is that we're all not going to be floating around in heaven, disembodied souls playing the harp. I don't know if you guys have seen, like the, the cartoons always have, like the, you got the wings, it's like, and you don't have a real body, right? Um, at best, you have a body, but it's like permeable, you know, like a ghost body. Um, what this is saying is that uh, he raises us up, right? That when you die, you go into the earth and he is going to raise that body out of the earth. Uh, this matters because what it's saying is that God cares about our sexuality because uh, in the end, his, our bodies come up. He doesn't scrap the whole thing. Like, do you know that you're going to be in your body forever? It's not going to function all the same ways, right? Like when you, I don't know, when you get a zit or you're like, uh, I don't know. Um, when I go to Orange Theory too much, when my knees start to hurt because I'm 30 now and I'm getting old. And uh, like it's, those things are not always going to be, but we are going to be in our body. And he says this actually uh, interestingly because the Corinthians, their position, if we look at verse 13, their position is that our bodies are toast. This is why it's put in quotes. Like our bodies are toast. So it doesn't matter like, you know, our stomachs, like what we eat, food doesn't matter what we eat in terms of the food. It also doesn't matter what we do with our bodies sexually because God's just going to scrap all of it. And it's interesting to note that uh, God is not going to scratch all of it and that that actually motivates Paul to say it matters what you do in your body that it matters what you do with your body because uh, at the end of all things, uh, we have hope that our bodies are not finite, that, they are, that we are actually going to live in them forever. And so it matters now what you do with your body because you're never going to escape it. Um, verses 15 through 17. Look with me there for a second. Uh, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Uh, the first Three of these things, right, that, the, that God creates our bodies, he buys our bodies, and he raises our bodies, uh, those all actually happen for this fourth reason, and that is that we are united to Christ. Uh, that we are united to Jesus as his body, and therefore, uh, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but like we become part of the body, part of Jesus's body uh, here on earth, the church, uh, but even more intimately than that, we are united to Christ in such a way that whatever we do in our body, uh, for instance, uh, as the Corinthians were doing, uh, uniting themselves to prostitutes, uh, many of the, it seems that many of the men in Corinth, if we if you go back to chapter five, have been uh, going to the temple and sleeping with prostitutes, uh, particularly the married men are doing this. And the married women are depriving their husbands of sex and like they're saying it's, you know, because their bodies, it's, it, it comes from the same place. Uh, my body doesn't matter and everything's trash anyways and it's all going to be burned up and it doesn't matter. So I can do whatever I want, which means the spiritual thing to do is to not have sex even if I'm married. And then the men are like, well, I want to have sex and since my body doesn't matter, I'm just going to have sex with whoever I want. <laughs> comes from the exact same belief that your body doesn't matter. But here... Uh, Paul says, it's not just that your soul is united to Christ. It's that your very body is united to Christ. Uh, this is, I think, especially important for our sexuality because uh, most of us think 
uh, of sexuality as being a very private thing. But what Paul is saying is that actually everything that you do in your body, you do with Jesus, that you do with Christ, that uh, when you're alone uh, in your dorm, on your computer, that everything you look at, uh, Christ looks at it with you. That when you are alone late at night with your boyfriend, everything that you do with your boyfriend, Christ does with you. When you, uh, 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 honestly, this is also like, it's not just shaming for the record. This also can be a very sweet balm that um, when that guy cat calls you, Christ is with you. When, um, I, when you suffer uh, in, in sexual ways, whatever that baggage is for you, like Christ didn't abandon you, that he is there united to you in that body. Uh, this, this is a, like, a profound thing for how we think about our sexuality, but it means at the very least, like, why does God care about our sexuality? He's joined to it. <laughs> that he is actually uh, in Christ's death and in our faith, putting our faith in him, that we actually get joined to him, not just in a spiritual way, but also physically. That's why, uh, Paul will say later, when we get resurrected, right? Why the resurrection happens is because Christ has already been resurrected. If we are linked to him, so that so much so that we are one flesh, when he's resurrected, so also will we be. Um, that when he comes back, uh, our bodies will join his in resurrection life. Uh, and we do that because, right, if you think about this theologically, the reason that uh, this also happens is because the sins that we commit, Christ takes those on. The reason that you, uh, that it's good that he's actually with you at all times as you commit sin is that he's actually died and taken on all those sins. The ones you have yet to commit in time, through his union with you, he actually commits them on your behalf. God punishes those and you get grace. That's how it works. (laughs) That's the good news. Uh, And that means even in our sexuality, that's what happens, that God takes on our uh, our problems, uh, including in Corinth, uh, joining with a prostitute. Lastly, in uh, our last point, our last like mini answer to why does uh, God care about our sexuality? Uh, look at me at verses 17 and 19. Verses 17 and 19, particularly verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Uh, we're told in 17 that uh, we have one spirit with Christ. But here we're, we're told how exactly that works, that our body becomes a temple and God's spirit comes and lives in us. That uh, the body is a temple. Um, I don't know if, how many of you guys have watched Parks and Rec? Is that still cool among Gen Z? Okay, good, great. Um, Right, so Parks and Rec, there's this one scene where Chris Traeger uh, is talking about like eating processed foods and he looks at Leslie Nope and he says, my body is a microchip. Uh, you guys know what I'm talking about? He's like, my body is a microchip. One speck of dust, it's all over. Uh, and he thinks, he also thinks that he's getting sick, he's getting like a cold and he like can't fathom like what's happening. And I think usually when we think of like our body being a temple, like... I think the popular way of understanding this is usually shaming. It has a lot to do around like don't eat certain things and, you know, uh, your bo- like you need to work out and, and be healthy and all this stuff. But the truth is 
Like if you look at the context of what this is primarily talking about, it's not about like eating the right things or not eating the right things. In fact, Paul's already agreed that like what you eat doesn't matter. Uh, Instead, what he's saying is that everything that you do, even the things you do in private, that those things you do uh, as a temple that houses God himself. That if you place your faith in Jesus, God comes and lives inside you, and therefore he cares what your body does. Uh, To sum this all up, right, uh, why does God care about our sexuality uh, he made he made our bodies, inhabited a body, died for our bodies, resurrects our bodies, and because we are united to Jesus as his body in whom his very spirit dwells, he cares about all of it. I know I just threw like a ton of content at you, but the point that I'm trying to make is why does God care about our sexuality? He cares because he is committed to the human body. Uh, some of you guys in here, have like a lot of shame about your body, whether it looks the right way, um, whether uh, you feel more honestly like a man or a woman when that's not really your assigned gender at birth, right? Like there's things that we feel deep down inside that are wrong with us and with our bodies. And the good news that uh, this is saying is when it comes to sexuality, God cares very deeply about those things. Uh, Maybe not always the way that you want him to, but he cares very deeply about those things uh, and that he has something to say about them and wants to uh, give you the truth about your body. Uh, And therefore, right, uh, it matters, right, what we do in our bodies. If he's committed to a human body, God cares about the human body, then that means that it matters, at least to him, what we do in those bodies. Now, the next question, the obvious question that uh, we have to ask is, so what? Okay, Nick, yeah, five reasons. He makes a bunch of body, he makes the bodies and the resurrection and like all that stuff. Like, yeah, he cares a lot about the body. Uh, well, why should I care that God cares? Right, where, where does the rubber meet the road with this? Um, it doesn't explain, right, just because God cares about our bodies because he built them does not mean that uh, necessarily you should care. Um, why, why should you come to the remaining large groups this semester and find out what God has to say about what you do in your body? Well, quite simply, uh, I would say this, that what you do in your, in your body matters if you love Jesus. Let me say that again. What you do in your body matters if you love Jesus. Uh, look at me at verse 20. Let me at verse 20. Uh, says here, oh, sorry, right before verse 20, the end of verse 19, you are not your own. Uh, This is really the heart of the Christian sex ethic, that grace is free. I was just talking about how you, like Jesus takes on all your shortcomings, all the shame you've experienced in your life, all the problems, uh, all the strife. Like he, he is willing to take on all the things that you, if if people knew about you, you'd be finished. He takes all that on, knows it about you intimately, dies for it, and you get his perfect spotless record instead. You get united to him and you get to live as someone who is free. Uh, That you don't pay for. You get that by grace, right? That that comes to you completely and totally free. But here's the thing. 
obedience is always costly. Right? That obedience is co- grace is free, but obedience is costly. Um, that, that what that means is if you want that grace, if you want to know Jesus, you want to love him back, right? That that means that he owns you to some degree. Uh, and that to our like 21st century minds, we're like, nobody owns me. Like our, our like alarm bells go off. When we see you are not your own, we are like, that can never be a good thing. It can never be a good thing that I'm not my own. Uh, the highest epitome of what a human can be is free. And I would actually submit to you that there, that's an illusion, that there is no such thing. Uh, if you've been in RUF uh, long enough, you know that my favorite movie is uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. And it is so because the end of that movie is, I think, one of the greatest scenes. No, it is the greatest scene in all of cinematic history. And it goes like this. Uh, if you know anything about the movie, Holly Golightly uh, is this girl who's like terrified to love anybody or anything. And uh, she like slowly falls in love through the course of the movie with this guy named Paul Varjak. And Paul loves her and eventually like confesses his love to her. And she's like, I don't even know your name. Right. She tells, she calls him Fred. She names her cat cat because she does not want the cat. Cause if the cat runs away, what does that say about her as the owner? And if she calls Paul by his name and she loves Paul and he decides to leave her or he treats her poorly or he says something mean to her, like what does that say about her? On some level, right, her life will have to start orienting. If she names the cat and she owns it, then her life starts orienting around the cat. She's got to feed it. She's got to love it, right? To, to, to have a relationship with this cat will cost her something. To have a relationship with Paul will cost her something. At the end of the movie, Paul says this. They're, in this, they're in New York and the rain's coming down and they're in a taxi cab and they're both, you know, sopping wet. And, uh, and Paul says, your whole life, you have been worried that someone's going to stick you in a cage because you want to be a free spirit, a, a, a wild thing. Well, I got news for you, baby. You're already in that cage. You built it yourself, right? The point that he's making is that even if you try to be completely detached, you end up in a, in a cage still because now you're enslaved to not being enslaved. There's no way to love anything without any cost. There's always some cost in our relationships and that's actually built in and for our good, <laughs> right? It's what makes us truly human. Holly was stuck in a cage of her own design. And this means this, uh, this means two things, that you are not your own and that uh, it matters if you love Jesus that what you do in your body matters if you love Jesus for two reasons. One, this means it's not really about hurting other people. When we talk about the Christian sexual ethic, what Paul makes clear here, uh, and he even unpacks it himself in verse 18, is that the point of the Christian sexual ethic is not just like minimizing harm. Uh, It's not just about like, as long as I don't hurt anybody and as long as everything's fine, like as long as nobody knows, then everything's good, Uh, right? He cares about your body and it's not your own if you place your faith in Jesus. And that means that uh, you can't just measure everything in like a pain pleasure calculus. Uh, Our insistence on freedom and autonomy, autonomy without limits uh, what that does is actually it shrinks our ethics. I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this before, but um, 
in America, in 21st century America, like Western, even like Western culture in general, we basically only have one lens by which we measure anything ethical. And it is utilitarianism, right? Like who does it hurt and who does it help? And how many people can we keep something from hurting and how many people can we help by doing something? Like that's, we measure everything based on basically that pain, pleasure, calculus. Uh, and what that means is like when it comes to sex, we've basically reduced everything down to consent. Because as long as there's two people consenting, then we like, it's only themselves that could possibly be hurt. And also since they consented, they're not actually hurt. They've volitionally done things, right? That, uh, and, and we shrink it that way. But the problem is that that doesn't, uh, that doesn't actually make sense of our whole world and how ethics works, like what good things are. Um, many of you know that I watch Bachelor in Paradise. Uh, unashamedly, but also kind of shamedly. Uh, I watched Bachelor in Paradise. And this past uh, summer, uh, there was a storyline where, like there's actually real people, so I guess it's not just a story. But there was a storyline where uh, a young woman named Demi, uh, like one guy who's like a boy band producer, which should tell you everything you need to know. (laughs) He's a boy band producer, actually a a boy band, a cover band producer, uh, is... um, Oh, man, it's so trashy. Anyways, uh, he decides that um, he doesn't want to be in a relationship with this one girl who's kind of got cold feet. And he starts dating this other girl named Demi. And immediately, that same day, they go into the Boom Boom Room and they have sex. And the next day, Kenny, the boy band manager, decides he does not any longer want to be with Demi. He wants to go back with his uh, previous girlfriend. And uh, Demi has previously said on the show that the whole point of paradise is to sleep around. Her words. Uh, the whole point is for us to sleep around with other people, you know, just have fun and nothing matters. And, uh, and she knew like what she was getting into. There was no strings attached with him. And yet the next day uh, she openly weeps on camera because she's being used by this guy. Right. And the truth is something in our gut says, yeah, that's kind of a douchey thing to do. <laughs> Right. But the truth is, if you're talking about just consenting adults, well, why do you feel that way? What did this guy do wrong? Right. I can tell you, but can you? And the question is, uh, right. The, the thing that we're talking about is uh, essentially that like when we shrink our uh, when we shrink sexuality down to I can't observe anybody being hurt. Right. We shrink down how much God can care about our bodies. And Paul says, actually, the most important thing when it comes to sexuality isn't even how you hurt other people. It's how you hurt yourself. And that God's ethic of sexuality is mainly designed to help you, not to, keep, not to protect other people. I think sometimes Christians get a bad rap because, like, we think somebody, like, drops dead. I've heard this, like, uh, I've heard this critique of Christianity that, like, Christians are obsessed with sex and we think somebody, like, drops dead every time there's premarital sex. And that's not true. We don't think that. What we think is actually that God cares deeply about your body and what you do in it. And that's why we care. Not because I care like what you do on your own, but because I think God cares uh, and that he knows what's best. Uh, the second thing that this means um, is that, that you are not your own. Right? It's the center of that God cares about our bodies and that it matters what we do in them if we love Jesus. Uh, that 
that we are not our own means that it's not really about hurting others. It's about ourselves. And secondly, oh, and can I just say this too? Uh, that, that it not being about other people means when you hear the sermons, when you hear this sermon and when you hear the ones that are coming, um, please do not think about how your friend needs to hear that. <laughs> right? Oh man, I know I have my friend that needs to hear all about the, the, how the, why do I get a Southern accent when I think about it? Uh, none of you have this other, but it's, it's, it's nobody in this room. Surely you would never say this, but like, oh yeah, you know, Tim, he's been sleeping around and yada yada. Like for the record, that's, ex- that cuts exactly against what this passage is saying is that really like the point isn't about other people. It's not about them out there. It's about you in here. What's going on in here? Okay, second thing, uh, that, that your body not being your own, it means uh, that you're, it's not about hurting other people, it's about you. And secondly, uh, this is a family discussion. Uh, what we are doing for the rest of the semester is that um, when, if you're a non-Christian in the room, if you don't know how you feel about Jesus totally um, and whether he's worth you know, following and loving and caring for, um, then you're really eavesdropping in on a family conversation. And it's okay. We want you to be here. We want you to like, uh, I hope that you will come to see that like the things that we're talking about are actually very beautiful and they're designed for your good. Um, And that they name hurts and pains that you've had. I hope that like this will actually be a very healthy thing for you to listen to. But um, I don't know if you guys have ever, I don't know if your parents are like this, but my parents definitely were. You ever like mouthed off to your mom or dad when your friend was sleeping over or like, I don't call them a name or, or said something about them or I don't know what it is. Um, but like if, or like, you know, can you take out the trash? Why don't you take out the trash? Um, what happens immediately after that, usually if you have a friend over is if your parents are kind, um, it's okay. You can leave it off. You can leave it off. Uh, if your parents are kind, what will happen is they will say, Hey, uh, Timmy, you know, my friend, Timmy, Say, hey, Timmy, can you, uh, can you give us a second? And that's when you know you're about to die. <laughs> right? Like, they're like, you can you give us a second? And you're like, they're, I'm, gonna, my, I'm not going to be able to sit next week. Um, so it's okay if you did. Like, my parents loved me. I did not get abused. But like, uh, or you're like, I'm not going to play games. for. I don't know how your parents disciplined you or whatever, right? But like, you know it's coming, right? That there's a family discussion that the way that your family operates, a code has been violated and now needs to be talked about. And the reason that you don't let Timmy sit in on that conversation is because it's not his family. It's not his fight. It's not his battle and how it's being discussed in that family, what the expectations are in that family. It's within that family. Uh, Like that's really what's happening when God is talking to us about our sexuality. If you have not, if you're not like sold out hook, line and sinker, that no matter what Jesus told you, if he told you to walk off a bridge, then you'd do it, right? If that's, for the record, he wouldn't do that, obviously. But, like, but, he, but if he did, you would do it. If that's not your core identity, that you would do whatever Jesus asked of you, then like this isn't really your family discussion. Because he's saying that he cares intimately about your body and that he's united to your body, and therefore there are things that matter about what you do in your body. And so... Uh, we're not, again, we're not talking about the folks out there. What we're talking about is the people that are trying to follow Jesus and what this means for our lives, for our bodies. Uh, through the remainder of the series, uh, this family discussion, it's about us uh, not being our own. It's not about behavior modification. 
It's not about doing the right things, uh, policing what you do in bed. It's about entrusting ourselves, entrusting ourselves some, to someone who is worthy, right? Can you entrust yourself to someone who is worthy, far more worthy than any significant other ever could be? Let's pray.